My next guest on the Business Samurai podcast is Travis Chapel. Travis runs the very successful Build Your Network podcast, where he has spoken to almost everybody imaginable under the sun. From billionaires to startup founders, he has spoken to the likes of Grant Cardone, Tommy Lauren, Tillman Farida, just to name a few. The list of people he hasn't spoke to is shorter. He recently launched a new podcast, Figuring It Out, with his wife, Jackie, where their very first guest was Shaquille O'Neal. I'm not kidding. It was awesome to see. He also is the founder of Guestio. Guestio is an online platform that allows you to go book yourself as a guest on other people's podcasts, as well as find other guests for your own show. During this interview, we talk about what it takes to actually build meaningful relationships, going back to his Build Your Network podcasting, but also as a founder of a, a new tech company from not coming from a technical background, what it was, what that experience was like trying to get the platform off the ground. So sit back and listen to the Business Samurai podcast and my conversation with Travis Chapel from Build Your Network and Guestio. Do you enjoy talking business? Do you enjoy reading about business? Do you geek out over the entrepreneurial journey? If so, then you are in the right spot. The Business Samurai podcast brings you the stories told by the people themselves. You'll be immersed in a wide variety of industries from venture capital to gourmet popcorn, learning how to be a better leader or the personalities behind solving the broadband crisis. At the Business Samurai, we believe it takes a wide variety of skill sets and experiences to be successful in business and life. Our aim is to not only entertain, but educate. For you to recognize how successful tactics and motivations in one industry can help propel you forward in your own unique business. Sit back, enjoy, and welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast. I am your host, John Barkley. All right, welcome to the Business Samurai Podcast. Super excited for today's show. This individual is one of the people that have actually influenced me to actually start a podcast. One of the first podcasts I listened to regularly three or four years ago, probably with Build Your Network. And of course, I'm speaking about Travis Chapel. And really happy that he's here today. Travis is a was a door-to-door salesman turned founder, investor, speaker, and podcaster. He is the founder and CEO of Guestio.com, a podcast booking platform. He is also the co-host of the top-ranked podcast, Build Your Network and Figuring It Out, where he's interviewed people like Shaquille O'Neal, billionaire Grant Cardone, billionaire Tillman Farida, Molly Bloom, John Maxwell, and hundreds of others. In addition to being a guest on top podcasts like Bigger Pockets, Entrepreneur on Fire, and Born to Impact, Travis has been featured in many Forbes, Entrepreneur, TechCrunch, and dozens of other media outlets. Travis, man, this is awesome. Really been looking forward to this. Thanks for being here. Of course, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And we're going to jump into a little bit of what Guestio is about toward kind of toward the end of this. But I want to jump into the weeds because one of the things that I've seen with a lot of how to do podcasting and things of this nature, because I'm on month six of my journey and still trying to figure things out, essentially. So finally started taking action after sitting on the sidelines for way, way too long. But I want to make sure we're driving value for everybody that's listening, yourself, of course, and hopefully there's some different questions or something maybe a little bit deeper. So if that's fair enough to you, man, I want to jump into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'll follow your lead. Sounds good. So in a bunch of your conversations talking about your turning point was when you've mentioned having John Lee Dumas on for Entrepreneur on Fire, like he was your kind of your first big get. And you, but, and you caveated that a little bit with going, Hey, I attended a mastermind at his house, Yeah, which some people may call cheating. I say, that's the whole point of Guestio is you're paying for access. There's, I don't see anything wrong with that. And we'll get into that later. Yeah. But when you were, 
when you were starting out and before you, I'll say, landed the first big fish, as it were, like how many episodes were you in? How long had you been working with the pot? How long had you started your podcast and trying to gain some traction? I, when I interviewed John and a couple others, it was actually pre-launch. It was before I started okay. the podcast. Yeah, it was. Uh, but to be fair, I was doing three interviews a week when I launched my show oh, wow. initially. And so before I before I even launched the show or like release of the first episode of the show, we had 35, 36 interviews already done before we released wow. the show. And maybe that was overkill. <laughs> I might have been printing a little <laughs> too much out of like fear of launching or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> but I did have a ton of interviews like already in the can. I did start with some good interviews, but it wasn't like it was like, oh, this is my first one that I've ever done. It was just it, it was one of the first ones that I released, but it was probably like the 30th interview that I did was some of the bigger than some of the bigger names but then i just went through and scheduled them out and was like i want this one to go out in this day this one to go out in this day etc cetera, sure. et cetera. so I, I felt like it would be better for me to launch with the best ones that i had so that people saw that i was serious with the gate made sense so i know you've always been a proponent then of a big backlog and i didn't really have this one written down but since yeah. you had so many i'm on you're like my 35th one in yeah. six months i'm doing like a once a week cadence what do you propose to have a backlog so you maintain a consistent schedule, whether it's once a week, twice a week, three times a week? How have you yeah. managed to do that? And not turn off a guest that's, man, I recorded that freaking back right. in January and it's June. Yeah, four to six weeks. Four to six weeks is good. Eight, eight weeks is okay. I wouldn't go much more than that. There was one point where I had four months and I was like, this is just... Like the stuff we're talking about just might not even be relevant for four months from now. Like this uh, is right. too much. So we cut off interviews for a little while before we started doing more recording. So I would say four to six weeks is like a really good buffer. Like the problem, like the, the big reason to do it is just to make sure that you never are worried about what episodes coming out and when, and you don't want to run out of episodes, like running out of episodes, lack of consistency is a big killer of shows. And so if you realize that you're coming up on a deadline, you're either going to skip the episode, which is a lack of consistency, or you're going to half-ass the episode, which is a lack of quality. And anytime you take a dip on quality or consistency, it's a signal to your audience that that you're not always going to be there for them and you're not always <laughs> going to take it seriously. And there's a bunch of other shows that will, and they'll probably just go subscribe to those ones. So would you, when you started with that launch and you're trying to initially build that audience, obviously you had the that many in the can and were able to order those with probably your strongest guests up front to go, hey, look at me, I, I'm, I am legit, I am here for the long run. Did you have a plan out, out set to go, hey, we know it's going to take time to build the brand, so we need to persevere for six months, 100 episodes, 200 episodes. We're doing this for two years because one of the things that I've seen is people quit. They think, oh, man, I've launched 10 episodes. They quit. I've seen it on Apple. Just, Hold on a second, dude. You haven't done anything in forever. Yeah. Or like I, I want to even say, yeah, I actually say I may have heard this from you. That like over 50% of podcasts don't even get 150 downloads per episode. Uh, and I don't remember if it was you or someone else. Yeah, if you're 200 how, downloads plus an episode, you're top 50%. Wow. So how? So going into this and breaking into this, or someone like me that's still trying to do that, what would you say? How would you say to break through? The, what's the perseverance level before you go, maybe what I'm doing is not working and I need to tweak something on my end? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, th I don't know if there's like a particularly defined period but for me it was two years i gave myself two years okay like if, I, if i do three episodes a week for two years and at the end of two years i don't see any direct reason why i should keep going then at that point i'll reevaluate 
and bro, it probably, I was probably like 16 months before, like, I, like month 15, month 16, I was still like in that boat of, ah, oh, man, I'm, I'm coming up, I'm coming up on two years. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to go. Uh, but I, like I said, I was doing three episodes a week. So it was three episodes a week for 16 months in a row when we were still getting less than 500 downloads an episode at that point. It was just a, I think that answer is, like I said, it's less objective and more subjective. It's more about what sure. are your goals? Why are you doing this? How long are you willing to do it? For me, it was, I had committed to two years, but the podcasting space or at least content creation space, I knew that the long term was always going to be worth it. Because in my opinion, if you can build in an audience of people who care about what you have to say, it's going to benefit you for the rest of your life in any business, any, anything that you try to do, anything you try to launch, any, write a book, you launch a new business, start a software company to have a coaching program, like whatever it is, it's going to be easier to sell physical product, et cetera. It's going to be easier sure. to sell and distribute if you have a built in army of people who have received so much value from you that they're willing to jump into whatever it is that you're putting out there, just frankly, to support you. So I, from the beginning, like that was a concept that I understood. It just made sense to me. So for me, it was never Agreed. a matter of if it was just a matter of when, because if you put in the work and you give yourself a long enough time horizon, it, like it's going to work eventually. If you're willing to put in action, get feedback, collect information, invest in yourself, take big risks and continue to do all of those things. Like eventually something's going to click, something's going to happen. You're going to learn something you're going to connect with somebody. You're going to have an opportunity, a breakthrough, like something's going to happen. That's going to allow you to be able to continue. But really just like the act of consistency, a lot of the times, a lot of the times is that thing that helps you break through. It's just the fact did you that you're showing up. Did you have a, a click moment? And I'm going to use the term like a hockey stick growth where it was like you're going along and then it was a spike or was it just persistently, gradually just stair-stepping up? Persistently, gradually stair-stepping up. Yeah. I wish I could say that I had a, a hockey stick moment. That would be, that'd be like easier for people, I think, to wrap their head around is, oh, one day I'm yes. going to take off. It just never happened for me. And not to say that it will never happen for you or will never happen for anybody or it's impossible. But I think the odds of it happening are extremely low. And even the people with the biggest podcasts that I know, they started the same way that, that I did. And their growth was very similar. I won't say his name just to, just cause I don't know if he wants me sharing it, but a friend of mine that gets <clears throat> over 10 million downloads a month said the same thing. I was like, was there ever a, that type of a growth, like an exponential growth curve for you? Like, where did that happen? When did it happen? Did it happen? And he said, no, it was just like consistent growth over time. And you look back over five years and it's just consistently growing and growing and growing. And at some point you start making enough money to where you can actually invest in the growth. And then the incremental growth becomes a little bit higher at that point, because you can actually pay money to go get attention instead of just letting it happen organically. It's just a consistency thing, man. You, you got to find that in, in software. Everybody talks about product market fit in content. Mm -hmm content market fit in podcasting youtube it's you got to find that content market fit what's the content that i can talk about that resonates really well with my audience and where like they start sharing it they start helping me grow and and they're stickier they stick around they actually like to listen to me and they are going to tune into next episode instead of just <laughs> do half an episode and then going on back to joe rogan or whatever you know and speaking of joe rogan you were mentioned alongside him with the forbes article a few years ago is 
that wasn't in and of itself with the amount of attention that it gets with Forbes and being listed alongside the likes of Joe Rogan and I actually got the article up over here. Who else was on this list? Tim Ferriss, of course, Gary Vee, you were in there. So that did that have a bigger jump than just some of the organic stuff that's then stuck around longer? Sure, yeah, there are several things that have happened along the way that like they get they, they give me a spike. But there's always a level off after the spike. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Okay. So like that Forbes article got viewed, I don't know, like 300,000 times or something. It'll say it up on the top left of that article if you haven't pulled up. But I don't know, 200, 260, 270,000 times that article's probably been viewed. So that gave me like a little bit of a bump. Or if I get booked on a big show or I'm a guest on a big show, there's a bump. Something happens. There, There's a bump in downloads, but it always levels off. It's just that level off, that plateau is higher than the last one was. And that so you get a new baseline each time. Correct. Yeah, it'll be like a little bit of an explosion and then it just settles down. But that settle down is higher than the previous settle down. And that continues to happen over time. One of the things that when it comes to bringing in the guests, and I've seen this a little bit now, I've not been asked this particularly, but particularly starting out is there's a lot of platforms out there who we want to see some stats before I agree to come to, onto your show. I want to see some stats and it's legitimately my only fear as starting out. I don't have the numbers. I don't have 10,000 downloads for episode, not even close to that. How do you respond to that when you actually start making contact and you don't legitimately? And the only reason I asked this question is it was another offhand comment you made about Grant Cardone coming. When Grant agreed, you'd made an offhand comment. If Grant knew my numbers, he may not at the time anyway. Obviously now for sure is a different story. How do you answer that appropriately and still get them to come on? Yeah, for me, it's all about credibility. So with Grant in particular and with really any big name guest that I've had on, they have layers of gatekeepers and almost like security that keeps that keeps time suckers away from their <laughs> schedule. And they should. Sure. They should. And we all yes. should. They're just doing their job. But as somebody who's trying to interview those people or get a piece of their time, it it's an obstacle that you have to learn how to overcome. And so for me it was credibility. It was just like how how can I make sure that they can make a decision within the reach out that I send to them? That's really the question because a busy person okay. is busy because they have a lack of time, right? They like their time is no longer in abundance. Their time is in scarcity because so many people want a slice of their time and they understand that time is their most important asset. So if you're trying to get some of that time, if you send them like a cold reach out, like even now that I get a cold reach out or something, if the, if I can't say yes in the reach out, the odds of me saying yes afterwards are much, much smaller. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be, that's going to be exaggerated depending on the person that you're talking to, depending on how much time other people want from them. So like Grant Cardone is a much higher exaggerated example of what I would be because his time's way more scarce than my time is. But the point is if you can get them to say yes within that reach out, they don't have to do anything additional. Meaning like if I send them a reach out, and I don't give them enough information to be able to say yes in that reach out, I've just given them homework. They now have to go research, who's this Travis kid? What's build your network? Why should I spend time with them? Should I spend time with them? And most of the time, they're never going to find an answer to that question. They're just gonna leave it read and never respond or, which is what sure. happened to me the first time, by the way, when I reached out to Grant, it just never was responded to. So I started learning was that if I were able to build such tremendous credibility in the initial readout, in, in, excuse me, the initial reach out, 
that they could sit there and read through, they didn't have to do any additional research. They could just say yes. I made it as simple as possible for them to say yes, essentially. So like the second time I reached out to Grant, I just mentioned it was probably like 12 names, at least eight to 10 names of people that I knew that he knew, liked, trusted, had done business with something. And I said, I've interviewed all of these people. When can I get you on the show? And one of them was his own wife. So it was like Elena, right. Ed Milet, and Bradley, and all these people that I knew like that were speaking on his stage or had spoken on his stage previously, had been on his podcast. I knew that he would recognize all of the names that I sent him. And that's what enabled me to get on without him having to go, what are your downloads? Or without him having to go <laughs> Google my name and figure out if I was worth spending time with. I made it very simple for him to say yes in the reach out itself so that he didn't have to go do additional research. So he didn't have to go do more work to see whether or not it was a good idea for him to spend time with me. And regardless if you like Grant Cardone or hate Grant Cardone, like that doesn't matter. It's the principle that matters. And that has worked sure. for me in several industries across several different types of people. It's just finding the credibility pieces that particular person cares about, the names that person is going to want to associate with. And if you include those inside of the reach out, then your odds of getting a yes are going to be significantly higher. I'm going to combine a couple questions for time's sake to just get some more actionable intel, at least for, for my end. After you, you got to secure the, the yes, how much and how long do you prep before somebody gets on? And what do you do during the prep to try to get somebody to, to try to extract something new out of them? Because I do notice that if you see some of the bigger names and they're doing the podcast tour yeah. and you see them bouncing around, quite frankly, to be honest with you, it's nothing against the host, but I can listen to one and I've heard the same message yep. a bunch of different times. So when they they've agreed to come on, the same interview. Yeah. It's the same thing. So how do you, if you know that going into it, how do you prep for that and then try to get something that's a, at least a new nugget? Yeah, it's actually pretty astonishing how simple it is to differentiate yourself in that regard because of how many people don't put in the work to prepare for the interview. Like even with Grant, <clears throat> when I first interviewed him, it was like I watched one of my go-tos is watching several of their previous interviews or most recent interviews. Um, first of all, so that I, I did that, I did that for you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So like, I know what not to ask because mm -hmm. if everybody's asking the same question, it's like they can, like my audience can go listen to that content anywhere else. But the reason right. they're going to listen to my interview with him is because we took it a different direction or we went deeper down this rabbit hole because I already knew the answer to the first question. So I was able to ask the second question instead of asking the first question, if that makes sense. So instead of where are you from or where did you go to college sure. or something like that, it's, hey, tell me why you chose to go to this. I know that you attended this place or I know that you did this thing or I know that you accomplished this or made this decision. What was the purpose behind that? What was the reason? Did you know what was going to happen after that? Was that a surprise to you? Like it enables you to be able to not just collect the information, but get into the thought process, the mindset, and actually reverse engineer the action that those people are taking, which is the difficult part to extract from them. But I think that's, people can tell. People can tell if you've done your research or if you did homework or if you put in the time and effort and energy to make sure that the interview was a positive experience for them rather than just something that you did for you, right? Because like those people gotcha. are dumb, they know that they're, they know that you're using their name to build your brand and your credibility. They know that's part of what's happening. 
They also know that it's good for them. I'm not saying that there's nothing that's in it for them, but in a lot of times it's like they're more than like more often than not doing the smaller show, the favor by being a guest on the show. And so you have to understand which one of those you are. Am, am I the asset in this relationship or am I the liability in this relationship? And then put in the work to make sure that you provide as much value and content for them as you can. So even when I interviewed Grant, he was, he said something about sending some of his buddies over to me like two or three times during the interview. He said something <laughs> like, well, you know, your stuff or you're, you re, you clearly mm-hmm. researched this, or I need to send some buddies over to you, or you do a really good interview. It was just like, you could tell that he had grown weary of being asked all of the same exact questions from every single person that was interviewing him. And so all, it sounds so simple. It's just like, all you really have to do to make sure you're not asking those same questions is go listen to six or seven interviews that they've done and make sure that you don't ask them those questions. Or if you do, you're asking them the next question, not the first question. And you're grabbing something out of them they don't normally talk about. That's one of the highest compliments I think I can get as, as an interviewer is when people are just like, man, I, I never really talked about this, or, or I've actually never said this on a show before, or man, I've never been asked that question before. Like whenever mm-hmm. we get into those things, that's how I know like this is going to be a really good interview. And that makes that person, that makes that person remember you a little bit more because like if all of the other interviews are the same, the interviewer that asks them better questions is going to stand out more in their mind. And it makes them more likely to share that content with their audience. That was one thing I learned from John Lee Dumas really early on was like, I started doing interviews with pretty good people, but I noticed none of them were sharing the episodes. So I asked John, I was like, what makes you share an episode when you're a guest? He was the thing that makes me share an episode when I'm a guest is if we talk about something that I don't normally talk about, because if it's all the same stuff that I normally talk about, why would I share somebody else's content? I talk about it all the time. I'm just going to share my own content to my audience so that they get continue to build a relationship with me. That's the reason I have an audience to begin with. Why am I going to share somebody else's content with my audience? If it's all the same exact stuff that I talk about all the time, talk to me about something different, pull something different out of me, grab something that I don't normally talk about, something that I'm stoked to share with my audience. And that is something that I'm willing to do. And so that always stuck with me and made me like always go for what's the thing that we can talk about that normally most people aren't talking to this person about, or they didn't have enough time in the interview to get to this thing because they spent so much time on all of these like surface level things that the other 12 people already focused on. And if I listen to those 12 interviews or those three interviews or those eight interviews, I know that like, I already know all the basics. So I don't have to start with the basics. I can start with the, the deep stuff or I can get a lot deeper, a lot faster than most people can. So I, I prep a lot by listening to previous interviews and then just like taking notes around what I'm curious about or like trying to fill in gaps where interviewers left a gap where like they, they asked one gotcha. question and then they gave an answer and then they asked the next question, but there was a gap in between like what happened with that and what happened with the next question you asked. It was like, wait, I had a question about what he just said. You didn't ask that question. I want to ask that question. I just take notes of my curiosity while I listen to other people interview. And that's honestly, that's 80% of my prep. Other things might be like, if they have a book, I'll try to read at least forward, first chapter, last chapter, intro, or book synopsis or something like that. Sometimes I'll read the entire book. I have friends who won't interview somebody unless they read the entire book. Anymore, I'm not as worried about that. When I was first starting, I would be way more worried about prep because I frankly was just a terrible interviewer and I didn't really know what I was doing. Hence hence my three pages of notes for you. (laughs) Yeah, sure. It gets easier as, as you go along. It gets easier as you go along. Speaking of what you just said, I feel like I am obliged to now transition into something else that's probably the heart and soul of what you're doing now, which is Guestio, and trying to build up the platform. Because it is. It's there. I'm just getting immersed into it now to make it a much easier to 
to book quality guests. I haven't pitched myself yet. That will be coming. But to also get compensated for it. Did you ever ha- did you have a tech background before you jumped into this? Absolutely at all? not. So I'm going to, I don't know if anybody's asked you this or not, what, because I do, I've been in tech for over 20 years. So what was probably the biggest learning curve for you trying to build a software platform, not having that experience? I don't know if we have enough time. I want to hear you say one time, that was a good question. I'm just trying to get to, (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. There's so many things, man, that I don't even have enough time to go through all of them. Sure. One that comes to like top of my mind though, is the difference between tech and product. When I started, Mm -hmm. I just, I had no idea there's a difference between those two things. It was like you hire a tech person and then they build tech. It was like... (laughs) I, like I didn't realize that. Oh, these are comp- like two different. Like, not only do I need to hire an additional person for product, it's like at scale, these are two different departments that like barely speak the same language. It's oh my goodness, like product is its own team. It's not just oh we got a product guy and we have the front end and back end and UX UI. Like it's like we have product owner, product manager, product like, <laughs> marketer. It's like CPO, CTO. It was like how many people are working on this damn software? You know what I mean? Like, I was not expecting it. It was just like oh you have a tech guy and then they do all that stuff. And so then you realize oh whole stack development team is not only hard so to joke. Buy in terms of a good in terms of a good tech team, but also really expensive to hire good people to do that. And then they're not, but they're not the ones that are experts in what to build. They're experts right. in how to build the thing. So like then I, like product is, oh, they're experts in what to build, like customer feedback and collecting data and finding <laughs> out which features are gonna drive the most revenue and where the buttons should go and how quickly the process to sign up is like, you have product and then they communicate to tech how to like what to build and then tech goes, okay, this is how we build it. And then they have to communicate with each other and have this symbiotic relationship all within the company. And that's just to build the thing that you have to go sell and market. You know what I mean? It was just like, all of that was stuff that I was not expecting. It was very much like, it was a massive learning curve. It was just, yeah, you get this built and then I go sell it. What's difficult about that? If I would have known everything about it when I first started, I may not have started. So sometimes naivety is uh, works in your advantage, even though you might go through a lot of stress in the meantime. Jump in, yeah, it's a jump in feet first trial by fire. Real quickly, as we start to wrap up, what is on the roadmap? Is there going to be, you're looking at implementing new features, flushing it out, trying to get more bigger names in there, more platforms in there? What's, what is the roadmap look for the next six to six months to a year? Yeah, right now the main goal is getting more platforms in there. We're only as good as the, like a marketplace is only good, is only as good as its inventory. And so right now we're really trying to get more shows, get more platforms booked inside of the marketplace. There's, there's so many features that I want to, I, I want to rebuild the entire sign up process. I want to rebuild the entire homepage. There's several product pieces. Like I really wish I could spend more time and energy on right now. I just don't have the time to be able to do it. And they're not like the biggest needle sure. movers inside of the company. Um, so we, we built a good product that I'm proud of. There's a lot of things that I wish I could improve on it immediately that we just don't have the time, energy or money or bandwidth to be able to do right now, but they're all coming. So our, like my, my main goal right now is is back into marketing and sales because I tried to do product for a little while and I like just bash my head against the wall, man. Like it's not my wheelhouse, <laughs> it's not my expertise. I tried to learn it and I realized that it's not 
something that I enjoy at all. It was just like really, <laughs> I don't know how people, I don't know how people just lose money is my point. Like people in Silicon Valley that go raise tens of millions of dollars and then they just lose money for 14 years like that. It's stressed yeah. me out. We raised our first round, like a pre-seed round for Guestia, like 1.3 million, not that much, but just, but a little bit more than I was originally sure. expecting. And when we were just like building product, every month it was just like oh man like when you're just burning cash like that, like that <laughs> just weighed very heavily on me it was like i don't like the feeling of just like bleeding money every month so 2022 i got back into what i feel like i'm good at which is marketing and sales and then we like i said we have a really strong product right now that is very marketable and sellable so at this point for me it's i need to focus my time energy effort back into just like marketing and selling what we have now before I worry about like continuously improving it, especially when we don't have a super dialed in system to figure out what to improve or how to improve it or when to improve it or how much budget we have to be able to improve it. So like right now it's, you know what, we have built something really cool. Let me get back to marketing and selling that. And then we can raise another round and hire for continuous development and new products and new features and stuff like that. That's awesome. And I look forward to continue seeing the growth and obviously looking forward to next events. It's been a few years since Build Your Network in, in Vegas. And if anybody wants to reach out, what's the best place for them to, to contact you? Yeah, TravisChapel.com, C-H-A-P-E-L, or just TravisChapel.com. You can go over there. Like, it's kind of, it's kind of like the hub. Like all my social links are there, Guestio's there, agencies there, newsletters there, everything's over there. So TravisChapel.com will be the place that you want to go if you want to figure out where you, where to connect with me the best. And I highly encourage anyone listening to definitely check out guestio.com. I've got Travis's, if you're watching on YouTube, I've got his personal page up and maybe you can book a interview with Travis himself. Travis, appreciate it, man. It's been of awesome. Of course. Of course, John. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Yeah.